Welcome to the Master Lectures Podcast, where we feature lectures on the Bible and theology from leading scholars. In today's inaugural episode, we hear from John Walton. John is professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College, a well-known scholar and teacher, and the author of several books on the Old Testament. He is also the co-author, along with Andrew Hill, of the widely used textbook, A Survey of the Old Testament, which has been used by thousands of students to learn more about the Old Testament. In this lecture, John helps us overcome the challenges we face when we read the Old Testament. We encounter obscure laws, we hear prophecies about people that don't exist anymore, and we read history that's endless in its detail. Over the next 30 minutes, You'll hear John explain why all of this matters and how to approach it for more fruitful study. If you like what you hear, please visit our website at masterlectures.zondervanacademic.com where you can watch more of John's lectures on the Old Testament along with thousands of other lectures on Bible and theology. And now, please enjoy this lecture from John Walton. What in the world is the Old Testament? That's actually the question that you often might ask yourself as you open its pages, because you read through it and you say, I don't get it. I don't know how this is God's word to me. We encounter obscure laws, prophecies about people that don't even exist anymore, history that just seems to go endlessly on and on. And you say, if God just had kind of this one book, the Bible, that he was going to give us, why take up so much space with this? What am I supposed to do with this? That's what we want to help you with as we talk through the Old Testament to try to understand what we are to do with it. And in the end, we want to get to the point where we can appropriate it to ourselves to be God's word to us. But we have to know how to do that. So let's start at the beginning. What is the Bible? What is the Old Testament? The Old Testament is God's revelation of himself to us. This is where God tells us what he's like. Think about it. If he didn't do that, all we'd be able to do is guess. That's what lots of people throughout history have done, tried to guess what God is like. But here we have God's story about himself, given to us so that we might know him, and that knowing him, we might want to enter relationship with him. That's what the Old Testament is giving to us. We are then supposed to build our whole worldview around God, who has shown himself to us. It should be a central part in our lives. The Old Testament, then, is God's invitation to hear his story. We get to know people when we learn their stories. We hear what their interests are, where they came from, uh, you know, what their hometown is, about their parents, all kinds of things, and we learn their story. And that's how we come to believe that we know them, by hearing their story. And so we come to know God when we encounter his story and how he has revealed himself to us. 
In the Old Testament, we have God's attributes in action. See, it's one thing to say, I am faithful. It's another thing to say, what does that look like day by day, year by year, century by century? What does God's faithfulness say about him? So we start with creation. It's the introduction to the world as God made it. God making it work for us. And we learn a lot about God in that process. We have history, which is the story of God's actions with his people Israel. And we see how he responds to various situations. That's his past. But story is also present. And so we have the, the prophets where God is interacting with the people in the present telling them the things they've done wrong, what they need to do to fix it. And then in that situation, he also talks about the future. What's his future plan for his people, for the world, for us? And so we find this story of God. We have books like the wisdom literature, which give us guidelines for living. We have the Psalms, which help us to think about worship. And in all of these, God is giving us his story, his revelation of himself. There's a plan to it all, a plan that God has where he intends to dwell among us. God with us. That's what he's always wanted. That's what he set up this world to be. That's why he created the world and us, because his intention was to dwell among us and his intention was to be in relationship with us. We start as early as Eden when we see uh, a temple scenario where God is living in the midst of his people. And humans are in relationship with God. But then sin removes them from God's presence. And the rest of the story of the Bible is God restoring his presence and restoring relationship. It's what God does. It's what he's always wanted. And so the plan begins to unfold in Eden. But then it reaches a key point in the covenant. By that time, people have lost access to God's presence. And how is God going to establish his presence again? Well, he starts with the covenant. The covenant in which he makes a relationship with Abraham that extends then to his family. And by making that relationship with them, he eventually comes and dwells in their midst, in the tabernacle, and then in the temple. We're going to learn in the book of Exodus uh, how God's presence became gradually more known. Burning bush, pillar of cloud, the plagues, parting of the sea, Mount Sinai. And then he comes and dwells among them. And throughout the Old Testament, we have the tabernacle and the temple where God is dwelling in the midst of his people. He gives them the law so that they can be in proper relationship with him. So that they know how to take care of sacred space, the tabernacle. That's the sacrifices. And we'll talk about that. This is the big picture. But there is more. There's more that, of course, we know the Old Testament doesn't get to because God wasn't always intending to dwell among his people in a geographical space. God had more in mind. And so we start to hear even in the Old Testament about Emmanuel, God with us. 
And in the incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The next great step in God coming to dwell among his people is that he sent Jesus to live among us in the flesh. And then in dying for us, made a way for us to be in relationship with him. And so when Jesus is getting ready to leave, he's talking to his disciples in the upper room in John 14, and he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's what God did from the beginning and doing it again, preparing a place for us so that where I am, you may also be. Because that's what God has always wanted. And then Christ ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then we have God dwelling in us and we are the temple. And in that way, God is moving his presence into our very lives, not just living among us, but dwelling in us. And it's all coming to a grand conclusion in new creation when there won't be a temple because God's presence will be everywhere among his people. That's God's plan. It starts in the beginning of the Old Testament. It goes all the way to the end of the New Testament. And it's there throughout standing as what God has always wanted. Now, we can't appreciate God's presence with us if we don't know him. We need to know him because you can't be in relationship with someone you don't know. So how do we get to know God? We get to know God because he has revealed himself to us. And if we want to get to know him, we need to spend a lot of time encountering him in the pages of his revelation. That's what the Old Testament is. So the covenant plays a part in this. We've talked about that, and that's really the major segment, the covenant and the temple, are the major elements of God's presence, God's plan in the Old Testament. The covenant is God's chosen instrument of self-revelation. That is, God tells Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That happens because God reveals himself through Abraham and his family, and God comes to dwell on earth in the presence of Abraham and his family. And so God's blessing comes to all. And then, of course, Christ comes through Abraham and his family. Scripture comes through Abraham and his family. There's an organic unity to the covenants as God is moving through the phases of his revelation of himself. Now, another thing that we affirm about this revelation is that it has authority. By authority, we mean that it has a right to speak to us because of what it is. And it is right in what it speaks to us because of what it is. That's the authority of the scriptures. And we submit to it when we embrace the picture of God that it gives us. After all, this is not just someone's made up ideas. Oh, I think God is like this. This is God speaking to us. This is not just some wise person or spiritual person or mystical person discerning what they think God is like. It's God speaking to us. And we don't have the right to try to pick and choose what we like 
we take what it says because this is what God has given us. If we start picking and choosing, we're making a God of our own imagination rather than what the text gives us. So how do we get to that? This authority, revelation, authority, how do we get to it? We have to get to it through the human communicators. We'll call them the authors. We could talk about authorship. Maybe we will eventually. But through these authors, because God has given them this message and they are delivering it. That means whatever God has to say to us, he is delivered through those authors. So we have to look at what the author intends because that's where we're going to find God's message. And as we try to understand what the author intends, we then are committed to believing what the text claims to be. So we have to pursue the message in what the author has given us. We have to be prepared to believe the message because we've accepted what it is. And then we have to respond to the message because this is never meant to be static. It's supposed to be dynamic in our lives. So when we read the Old Testament then, we can't be content just to look at this verse or that verse or this story or that story. When we read the Old Testament, we have to be alert at a couple different levels. At the first level, we might think about what we could call the storyline. The storyline is sort of the who, what, where, when, the, the basic content. And we can, we can read the Bible and get the basic storyline, what God did, in what situation, what people did. We read the stories. That's the storyline. That's great. It's important. It's necessary. But it's not enough. We also have to be attuned to what we would call the plot line. The plot line tries to identify what we could call the meta-narrative. What's going on behind all of these stories? What's pulling them all together? How do they work? How is each story being used to accomplish something bigger, whether that something bigger is literary within a book, or whether that something bigger is theological in what God is doing? We want to read each story not just for its content, and it's just like any other book in the world. We want to read it for its plot line. Here's the who did it. Why did they do it? It's God doing it. And we need to understand his purposes behind each of those portions of Scripture. And so we're interested in the plot line, because in the plot line, we find what makes it Scripture. The idea that some events happened in history doesn't make it Scripture. What God is trying to show us and teach us through those events, that's Scripture. What God is doing there, that's Scripture. We want to try to understand God and his plan as it unfolds through the ages. And that's the story we get in the Old Testament. We can't be satisfied with select verses or select Bible stories. We have to see the bigger picture. So how do we go about studying the Old Testament? Well, we have to be aware of what our presuppositions are. We all have them. 
We come to the text with certain ideas of how, what this story means or what this passage means. And we have to be aware of those presuppositions. I hope that as we read scripture, we're always willing to be surprised by the text. Not just to find a passage we don't remember or didn't encounter before, but to be surprised because it's teaching us to think somehow differently. Remember, we are trying to conform our worldview to what Scripture gives us, not conform Scripture to our worldview. The Bible is not written to us. It's written for us, but it's not written to us. And therefore, it might not be addressing the kinds of questions we have. It might not be answering the questions we have. We have to find out what the Bible itself is trying to convey. We have to let the text speak for itself, not just always kind of shape it to what we want it to be. To do that, we have to understand not only sort of the the content and and the storyline and plot line, uh, not only to understand the language, which fortunately has been translated for us, but we have to think about genres. Genre is a way of uh, thinking about what type of literature we're dealing with. And when we understand the genre, we can get a reading strategy. And so we need to understand what the author's trying to do. And we'll be talking about all of these things as we go from section to section of the Old Testament. We have to try to understand the audience. We're not the direct audience. There's an audience that the author is speaking to, that that he thinks about. And we have to try to understand that audience, uh, the circumstances of the text. These are all things that are important for us to make sure that we are getting the message of the text loud and clear. The last thing we want to do is, is just impose our own desire and will on the text. We want it to speak for itself. And so the author's purpose not just the author's intention in a given text, but the author's purpose as he puts a piece together. We call this the rhetorical strategy. That is, how the author has pieced a book together, or the editor has pieced a book together to work, to accomplish a goal. And so we need to try to understand that larger purpose. We have to try to become members of that original audience as best we can. We can never accomplish that fully, but that's our goal as we try to study it. How about applying the Old Testament? How do we do that? Okay, we've talked about what it is. We've talked about a a reading strategy in a sense. So how do we embrace it? We want to ask the question, what can I learn from what the text is teaching? We don't want to create a teaching that the text is not doing. We want to figure out what we can learn from what the text is teaching. So we don't start out by saying, gee, how does this hit me? You know, what's my impression of this? How do I feel about it? Because that could take us off track right from the start. We want to talk about what the text has in mind as it presents this information to us. And if we're right, that this is really God's revelation of himself, first and foremost, 
then our first question out of the gate always should be, what is this teaching us about God? It's hard to go wrong if you start there. What is this teaching us about God? Because what it's teaching us about God has implications. Implications for how we view ourselves, implications for how we view the world, implications about how we think about others and interact with them, implications about how we think about God. We have to let this knowledge of God seep into our lives, building a reservoir of knowledge of God. It's not necessarily going to give us actions I can take this week. Maybe the things you're going to learn about God aren't things you can even use this week or this month or this year. Maybe 20 years down the road, you'll have to draw on that knowledge of God that you've learned. But that's what we have to, to have available to us because when we encounter life, when we have a split decision we have to make, when we uh, are thinking about our conduct, our attitudes toward others, we don't always have time to just go and kind of page through Scripture. We have to draw on what we know. And we come to know it when the Bible gives it to us. When we are faced with certain trials or certain decisions, we want the Bible's bells to go off in our head because they're in our lives, they're in our hearts. And that's what we're doing when we read the Old Testament. We are filling that reservoir of our knowledge of God so that we have it to draw on as we live our lives. That's what we want to learn from this course. That's what we want to get every time we open the pages of the Old Testament. We want to know what it's doing and we want it to contribute to our lives so we live in relationship with God as participants in the kingdom of God. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please visit our website at masterlectures.zondervanacademic.com to watch more lectures from John Walton, along with thousands of other lectures from nearly a hundred scholars and counting. It's kind of like Netflix for Bible and theology. You can get free access to everything for your first 14 days, and then after that, the price is just $14.99 a month when you enter the code PODCAST on the sign-up page. To sign up, visit the website masterlectures.zondervanacademic.com. You can also learn more about John's book, A Survey of the Old Testament, at zondervanacademic.com. And finally, to support this podcast, we'd like to ask two things from you. First, that you rate and review the podcast on whatever app that you're using to listen to it right now. And second, we'd ask that you share this with somebody, a friend, a colleague, your pastor, someone in the church that really helps other people find this, and we appreciate it. In our next episode, you'll hear from Michael Bird on the centrality of the gospel in doing theology. Until then, thanks for listening.